that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 9 as we go through the Gospel of Mark by John Mark, our evangelist. If you'll remember with me, last week, Jesus is leading His disciples slowly to His demise, slowly to His suffering, his, his, where He's going to be arrested and beaten and mocked and scourged uh, and be nailed to a tree for the sins of the world. And He's leading them slowly to this because they can't understand it. And at the same time, they've been falsely taught that He was going to come and sit on the throne again right there in Jerusalem. And they missed the second time. See, because in the Jewish history, the Bible, the prophets, the law and the prophets tell us that Christ would come and be a suffering servant, but then He would also come as a conquering king. And they spiritualized the suffering part because nobody wants to suffer. They couldn't understand that He was coming twice. And so to tie those Scriptures together, they misinterpreted them. And so they thought that Jesus was getting ready to go set up His kingdom. Now, if you followed this through the book of John, you would know that they are trying to grab Him and make Him king. They're trying to take Him and set Him on the throne because they've seen His power and the miracles that He's doing. But He came as a lamb to be slaughtered the first time. He came as the Passover lamb. And so He's slowly leading them to this truth of who He is. And if you'll remember in chapter 8, He said to them, Who do men say that I am? And of course they said, Some say Elijah, some say uh a prophet, some say John the Baptist, and they had different ideas. And he said to them, well, who do you say that I am? Because really, ultimately, when you get to the judgment seat, what is the most important thing? Is who do you personally say Jesus is? Is He the Messiah? Is He God with us, Emmanuel, the Savior of the world? Or was He just a good man? See, because if He's just a good man, then we're all in trouble because that good man lied to us. And a good man said he was God. The good man said he was the great I Am. The becoming one. He was God with us. And it's just so important that we know that because the devil wants to trick us into dying and never coming to the knowledge of the Savior of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. The only one that can take away the sins of the world and that is accomplished by believing in Him. So it's really cool that that Peter says to him in 8.29, You are the Christ, which is English for uh, the Messiah, the Mashiach, the anointed of God to come and take away the sins of the world. Because the Old Testament saints all look forward to Him coming. And you and I, or the world today, looks back at His coming. It has been fulfilled. 
And of course, you know, I'm sure that everybody's looking at Peter and Peter's like, yeah, I got that answer right, you know. And of course, if you look in Matthew, he said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Peter, but my Father who is in heaven. So if anybody knows that Jesus is Lord, it's only because the Father has spoken to you. He's touched you and said you're a sinner. You need a Savior. And the only one that's coming is Jesus Christ. And then He gave you faith to believe that. And so you trusted in Christ. It's not something that, that, that you can just find in your intellect. It's not something that you just rush out and you go, I think I'll do that today. i got a little mark-off list. I think I'll just get saved. It's something that God does. He's at work in your life and He loves you and He's drawing you to Him and He slowly does that with truth that He gives you about Him until you surrender your soul to Him. And so, Peter could pat himself on the back. If you've ever gotten something right and you ever felt like, ah, oh, yeah, I got that. And you look around at all the other people and you just kind of glare at them like, I'm the smart one of the group. We're going to find out differently here in a minute. So then, Jesus begins, as He's walking them to this, to tell them of His demise. It's actually... Um, 831, he began to teach them that the Son of Man, which is Messianic, it's a title for the Messiah, must suffer many things. He must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and then killed. And after three days, he will rise again. Now listen, all that had to be done. That's the religious. That would be like today, what we're doing today. Listen to me, you've got to get this. Because today we're rejecting Jesus Christ. The church meets every Sunday, but they're really rejecting the person of Jesus Christ. They're rejecting salvation. It's, it's called apostasy. It's going on all over the world right now. That the devil has deceived the church into meeting to being religious, but never doing what Christ called us to do. Never living a life for God, still living a life for ourselves. It had to happen. The Jewish church, the Jewish uh, 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 synagogues, the Jewish leaders, they said, nope, we looked, we checked, it's not Him. The church today says, we looked, we checked, we say the name of Jesus, but we're not going to do what He says. There's no difference. That's a rejection of the Savior of the world. We cannot go on living the way we've lived. We cannot go on doing what we've done. We cannot go on playing religion and think that we're going to go to heaven and live with Jesus. And God says that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. It begins in His house. Listen, I don't parent the neighbor's kids. I parent my kids in my house. And God says He's going to judge His kids first. My wife's laughing because I do parent. It doesn't work real good in an analogy. Because any kid that's running around wrong, I still grew up in that culture. I parent them. If they ain't doing right, I jerk a knot in their butt. Are you allowed to say that from the pulpit? Jerk a knot in your butt? No? Okay. I just did, so I guess you are. So anyway, here's the point. He got onto it last week. He takes Peter aside. Peter begins to say, Jesus, no, 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 no. We already know what's going on. In the, we already know. You're going to go be king. You're not going to die. You're going to go be set on the throne and I'm going to be your right hand man because I just got it right. We're going to set this kingdom up right now. Let's take it over. Rome, Rome has got nothing. You've got all these powers. So he took him away and told him that. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus turned around. He made sure everybody was looking. And he looked right at Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. 
He called Peter Satan. Think about this. A minute ago, he's patting himself on the back, and he's like, I know all the answers. And then Jesus calls him Satan. But he follows it up and he explains what he meant. He says, because you are not mindful of the things of God, but you're mindful of the things of men. Earthly thrones. Earthly dominion. You're you're worried about money. You're worried about material things. You're worried about clothing and things down here and position and pomp and prestige. But you're not worried about the kingdom of God. Listen to me. Anytime our minds are not set on the souls of men, anytime our minds are not set on doing the work of God, it's flesh. And it's from Satan. He's the one that created our flesh in the garden with original sin. And God gives us salvation, brings us back into His house, and gives us His Spirit so that we can begin to learn to be about His business and not flesh. The Bible clearly says, as many as walk in the Spirit, these are the sons of God. And if you walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So, what's the purpose? We're not supposed to be fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Jesus is training them to set their hearts, their minds, their affections on heavenly things. He said it in Matthew 6.33. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. But you don't have to worry about them. You don't have to set your mind on them. You just know that God wants to supply them for you. Yes, you work. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. But the work that the man of God is supposed to be doing is the work of God, for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God. Listen to me. When we set our mind on our own little toys has nothing to do with God. When we set our mind on earthly things instead of the will of God, it's from Satan. It's that simple. He rebukes the number one disciple. He named him Rock. Peter, Petra. And he said, on this truth I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Listen to me. Where's your heart? Where's your mind this morning, saint? If you say that you believe in Jesus Christ, what are you mindful of today? What are you mindful of? Can't wait to get to lunch? I can't wait. Man, I know my wife's making that pot of stew. I can't wait to get to that. That's okay. Those are affections. But are you worried about the souls of mankind? Are you worried about the world right now? Are you worried about people that are going to die and go to hell? See, that's what Jesus was worried about. When He hung on the cross, it wasn't the nails that held Him there. It was His love for us. When He came to earth and took flesh, it wasn't about making Himself great. He already had all power, all might. He was already God in heaven. And He took off His deity and He said, I'm not going to use that right now. And I'm going to go become altogether like them so that they can become altogether like me that they will choose to obey and listen. And part of obeying and listening is confessing when we're not. Part of obeying and listening is being trained not to put our mind on these things that create anxiety and fear and frustration, but to put our mind first on the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And we don't have to worry about those things. And He actually says to them this. Listen to me. It's, it's, it's Mark chapter 8. 
verse 34, whoever desires to come after me, if that's what your heart is set on, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's really the mandate for the person of God, the Christian. Anybody who wants to come to know Jesus, you have to have a desire not to chase after earthly things. Now listen, here's the great news. Here's the good news. Listen to me before we move into today's lesson. Is that if you just believe in the blood of Jesus, if you believe that He paid for all your sins, that's the starting line. As soon as you believe in, in, in Jesus, that, that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. As soon as you believe that, positionally, you're just as if you're perfected with Christ. But practically, you have a race to run. See, that's the starting line. Now we have a race to run that He wants to get our minds to this verse. He wants to get our desires completely changed over. He doesn't expect you to be there instantly, but He does expect you to turn your heart toward it. And if your heart isn't turned toward it, maybe the Spirit of God is not in you. If you have no desire to do the will of God, then maybe the Spirit of God doesn't live in you. Because the Spirit of God, who is God, very God, comes and seals you for salvation and begins to change you from the inside out. We're going to see this here in a minute in the Mount of Transfiguration. So if we're still feeding self instead of denying self, if we're still taking up everything that we want to take up and doing what we want to do, instead of the cross, see the cross was the most cruelest instrument of death that was ever created. The Roman government created that. It was... It was prophesied that he would die on a cross long before there was ever a cross. Long before there was ever a kingdom run by the Romans, which is rising again. If you look around, the Roman Empire is rising again as we speak. It's in the shadows. Some people say, oh, he's a conspiracy theorist. No, it's the same government. It's the government of the devil. It's rising right now. It's deceiving the nations right now. Are you deceived or are you walking in freedom with Christ? And then he says, for whoever desires, it's uh, 835, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. In other words, if you try to keep your life and do what you want to do, you'll lose it. But whoever loses his life, I'll lay it down freely. For my sake and the gospel will save your life. When you lay it down, when you deny self, when you stop chasing everything that the world's telling you to chase, everything the devil's telling you to chase, everything that your flesh wants you to chase, which is your three enemies, you can save your life because then you'll begin to do the will of God. For what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Go out and chase it. The American dream tells you to get it. What do you do with it when you get it? You ever see a hearse pulling a U-Haul? Can't take it with you. The only thing you can take with you is souls of other men. And women. The only thing you can go with you is souls. When you stand before the judgment seat of God, 
what's going to be behind you. It's not going to be a U-Haul of all the stuff you fought for down here. It can only be lives that you've impacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ as you denied self, as you took up your cross, and as you followed Him. It means to be in the way with God. God who created the planet. God who created the universe. God who gave you life and breathed in you the breath of life has died on a cross so that you could come back to Him and be in His family. And He's a good Father. So amazingly, then He goes on to say this in chapter 9, verse 1, our text this morning. And He said to them, Assuredly I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. They should have been in chapter 8, by the way. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, It is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, What do the scribes say that Elijah why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, Indeed Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how it is written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did not excuse me, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it was written of him. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell onto the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. 
When Jesus saw that the people came running, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, This kind can only come out with nothing but prayer and fasting. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise and glory. And we ask you to help us understand what's going on in this text so that we can actually apply it to our lives. Help us to not just hear the word, but, but to be doers of the word. Lord, grow our faith. We believe, but help our unbelief. We would cry out just as the Father did in this text over his Son. Bless our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, let me give you the, 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 the short, and then I'll break it down a little bit, and we'll be here till lunchtime. The short is this. Right now, Jesus is in heaven, and he is praying for you. He's praying for me. The book of Hebrews says He's making intercession for us because He knows exactly what we need. And we are down here in confusion and chaos. And this is what this text is about. The transfiguration, the mount. This is Jesus. He's on the mountain in His full glory. But there's nine of His disciples still back down at the bottom of the hill, being attacked by religious rulers, being attacked by demons. And they don't know how to deal with it. Look at it, the church all around. We're not, we're not going to people. We're not telling people truth. We're not giving them any hope. And see, this is written to Romans, so it doesn't really mention what Luke mentions. Luke mentions, if you wish to go look at Luke, he says Jesus took Peter, James, and John and went up on the hill to pray. He's making intercession for us. He's on the hill. He's, he's, he's seated on the throne room in heaven praying for you and me. Went up to pray. And at the end of the text, what does he say? These kind only come out through prayer and fasting. So the text is really about prayer. Wow. I didn't get that. I didn't either until I was praying about it because that's what we're supposed to be doing. But the guys are down. You know where the guys are at? The nine of them, they're down here messing with this deaf, mute guy. Notice that it was a demon that was in the guy, throwing him, trying to kill him. And that's what's trying to kill you today is the devil, the demons trying to get you to do things that you shouldn't be doing. And you do them because you're not praying. The, the devil's throwing you everywhere. He's got you confused. And you don't know which voice to listen to because you're not praying. Listen to me. Because communication with God is what you need. When you're praying, it's the most, the, the, the perfect form of worship is to get on your knees and say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I have no strength. See, they think they got strength. Remember, he sent them out. 
He sent them out to the Jews and He said, cast out demons, heal the sick. Wherever you go, just stay there. Don't take anything with you. Don't worry about your bodies. I'll provide for you. And then now they're down in the valley trying to do that work without Jesus, without prayer, without doing what they should have been doing. They think, well, He commissioned us. That's what the church is doing right now today everywhere. Jesus commissioned us. Let's go make our plans. Let's go build our church. Let's go do our thing. And then we leave prayer and the Spirit of God out. And it's exactly what God told us would happen. That there would be a form of godliness that would deny the power thereof. Listen, your power comes through a relationship with God. It's led by the Spirit of God as you get into the Word of God for the glory of God. To do His work, not to do your work. To be mindful of heavenly things, not mindful of earthly things. That's the short of it. Are you praying? See, prayer is the place of humility. Prayer is the place of dependency. Prayer is the place where you say, Oh, I realize that nothing good dwells in my flesh and I can do nothing in my own strength. And I need to know you, Lord Jesus, in a personal way or I don't even know what's going on. Can you see the spiritual realm? Me neither. Barely see with my physical eyes anymore. But when I'm listening to God, He tells me what the next step is. He tells me what I'm supposed to be doing. He gives me spiritual eyes to see and to speak the way that I'm supposed to speak. He helps you to see. You can see the ramifications of, uh, of the spiritual world. Look around you. Look at the death. Look at the chaos. Look at the sickness. Look at the lies. Look at the confusion. What are, they, what are they arguing about? What are they questioning about? They're all arguing about authority. Listen to me. Go out there and look. Where do war, James says, where do wars and, and all this come from? They come because you want and you do not ask. You don't pray. They come because everybody wants to be the boss and nobody wants to humble themselves. But the God of the universe humbled Himself and became a man. And He washed feet in the last night of His life. Physically. But He wants us to understand that He didn't just come so that we wouldn't go to hell. He came to transform us. He came to make us all together like Him because we're sinners. Every one of us are sinners who need a Savior. And if we don't choose that Savior, we don't get to go to heaven. Because there's only one. Jesus. There's no other name in heaven and earth by which men can be saved but that of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. His name actually means the Lord is salvation. Listen to me. He says here, we'll go into this, and He said to them, it's 9-1, Assuredly I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now there's many, many uh, things we could say about that. It could be all of the disciples standing there, all the people standing there will see the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They'll see Him die. And with that, though, the kingdom will come with power. But I believe he's really referring to the Mount of Transfiguration, where Peter, James, and John are getting ready to go up on the mountain, and they're going to see him in his majesty. They're going to see him in his power. They're going to see him in his fullness of his glory. In fact, Peter says this later 
after he gets his feet underneath him and he gets a bearing in 116, 2 Peter, for we did not follow, this is Peter testifying about Jesus, cunningly defies fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Eyewitnesses of His majesty, which means His magnificence. It's from a word that means perfection. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard the voice which came from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. And then he goes on to talk about, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. It means made more sure. They knew who he was. See, they're still wondering. The question was just, who do men say that I am? Well, who do you say that I am, Peter? Then why in the world would you try to rebuke me if you really believe that I'm the Messiah? Why would you ever rebuke the Messiah? Why would you try to argue or rebuke God? And yet his own church, his bride, tries to develop plans that are against him and that's the whole point of him rebuking peter is that we can think we're doing the work of god and be playing religion and really be doing the work of satan we can really be promoting this this lying apostate church that leads people away from god instead of to god and it's so important that we understand that So I guess I would ask again, what are you doing to bring men and women souls to God? Are you denying self, taking up your cross and following Christ? Are you praying? Really, I believe this is, they're not going to taste death till they see His majesty, till they see Him in, in transfigured form. But it could also be the kingdom of that comes. What's the kingdom anyway? It's the realm where God rules. See, He's God regardless, but He's asking you to freely choose to let Him be king on your life. He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. One day every knee will bow. But when you believe in the blood and you ask Him to be your Lord and Savior, you're saying that you freely bow right now. You're willingly believing it now. You're willingly going to obey now. And much of the church would say, Amen, preach it, brother. But then they go away and they don't obey Him. They go away and they don't do His desire. They go away and they continue to live their life and pursue the American dream and follow everything except for Jesus. And that's why the church has absolutely no power on the planet. Because we look just like the planet. We act just like the planet. We chase what the planet chases. Why would they follow the church? Why would they listen to the church? The devil has taken over the pulpits. The devil has taken over the gospel. We preach a a, a false gospel just like... Oh boy... In 1 Kings, we've just been studying that, where everybody's following calves. They're following false gospel. They're following a false religious system. And Elijah comes and says, listen, either the Lord is God, or Baal 
Baal, Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies, the devil is God. And you have to make a decision. See, because here's what, here's what the point was. The nation of Israel never thought they left God. Because they went into the temple three times a day and prayed. They never thought they left God at all. And yet they were chasing Baal. The king had built a temple to Baal. The king was worshiping his wife Jezebel, was killing the prophets of God with their worship. And so the church today, the Christian church, I call it culturanity, we don't feel like we've walked away from God because we still dress up on Sunday, we go to church, we, we have the little key words like, you know, oh God bless you, and, and, and we, we say all these little fancy Christian ease things. So we don't feel like we've left God, and yet we chase everything else. And it's really Lord because it doesn't take any excuse not to come to church. I was at home sorting my socks, Pastor. Really, did you get them ready for work? Listen, it doesn't take anything. And we just say, I'm going to skip going to church. And the Bible clearly commands us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, which is the manner of some, but to come and encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching. Listen, church is not just for you to come here to get your little fix so you can go chase your little world. Church is so you can be equipped so you'll know truth and you're not deceived by the lie and you go back out there and chase stuff that you shouldn't be chasing. Church is about you blessing somebody else. Church is about you giving your life away the same way your Messiah, your God did. Church is not about continuing to win friends and influence people. Church is about souls. This is serious. This is eternity. This is not a joke. Because we're either going to burn in hell or live in heaven for eternity. Every single one of us. Don't, don't get me wrong here. Listen to me. Seriously. You are a spirit in a body. You are not a body with a spirit. Your body was never meant to last. It's an earthly tent like you would use camping out. You are, you are eternal. You were created eternal. And the devil deceives us. And God just says, you can live in my house forever if you'll surrender and you'll believe in the blood of Jesus. Listen, you're living somewhere eternally. And how you live down here proves where you're going to go up there. The evidence is down here. This is our testing ground. This is our proving ground. This is the place where we come back underneath the authority of the house that we belong to. And I can tell you right now, this is not my home. This is not my home. It once was. I was a perverted pit dweller. This is not my home anymore. My home is in heavenly places because of the blood of Jesus. I have a new inheritance, a new home, a new father. I, you know, just like I was telling you, we're going to watch that movie, Before the Wrath. In the Galilean wedding, when a man proposed to his bride, it would be a one-year-long betrothal. He would pay the price of the dowry so that he could, he could supply for the father in case that bride came back, the father would still be able to take care of that bride. Then he would go away to his father's house, and he would build a house, a mansion on the side of his father's house, so that he could come back and get her a year later and bring her back to that house. 
And that's what's getting ready to happen on the planet and the church is asleep. The church is chasing the world. And Jesus is getting ready to come back and get His bride who has already said yes to Him. And He's getting ready to take them back because He said, I'm going away. He said, let not your heart be troubled. It's John 14, 1. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions, little houses built on the side. And, and if I go away to prepare you a place, I will come again to receive you that where I am you may also be. He's coming back really soon. I better get into this text. We're never going to get it done. That bride is supposed to be obeying and preparing and being cleaned up and transfigured. We're getting ready to get to it. Now, after six days, it's verse 2. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured. Metamorpho. Metamorphosis. That's what it was. It's a metamorphosis. It's like a um, caterpillar turning into a butterfly. Became a different creation. They seen, but it came from the inside out. That's the way Christianity is. It's from the inside out. You're, you're, you're transformed from the inside out because Jesus comes and lives in your heart and what goes on in your heart comes out. That's why He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Here He is transformed, transfigured. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no uh, launderer on earth can whiten them. He's seen the glory. They've seen the light shining out. He's the light of the world. What did they see? Here He is in His humanity on the bottom, down, 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 down on the, the valley, and they go up, and what did they see? They've seen His glory. They've seen His fullness. It came out from the inside of Him, and He was transformed. Like, once again, this is you and I. See, we're not supposed to stay this human body. We become a new creation. And in Romans 12, 1 and 2, you can turn there if you'd like. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul speaks to the church at Rome, and he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be metamorphosed. Be transfigured. Be ye transformed so you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What did I say earlier? This is your proving ground. This is your testing ground. Down here in these 70, 80 years in your body is going to be the evidence of whose house you live in. It's going to be the evidence of who you believe in. Because you're being transformed or the devil is deceiving you and you're being conformed to some false Christian system or you're being conformed to some false worldly system, secularism. Oh, I just believe that, uh, you know, like since the planet's like millions of years old, you know, like the science proves it. And I'm being real facetious here because the science doesn't prove it. The planet is less than 7,000 years old. But if you have a liar who is the devil who wants to convince you that God is not real, what's he going to do? He's going to take everything that's truth and twist it. He's going to say, oh really, there's 56 different biologies, not just man and woman. Because God said there's male and female. 
Well, let's no, that's not right. You can be anything you want to be. Let's just take everything that God says is true and let's twist it just a little bit. And let's be perverted pit dwellers. Think about it for a minute. That's what perversion means. It means to twist just a little, just to change what God designed it for. But God asks us. He says, consider my mercy. See, we're saved by mercy. Through grace and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. All you have to do is believe in your heart, in the blood of Jesus, and you're saved. It's a gift. Consider those mercies that God could have killed us because we're sinners. And he said, I'm going to have mercy on them. I'm going to go down and die for them and give them a passage. If they'll just believe it, I'll give them a way back. To be in my house forever. To enjoy fellowship with me for eternity. I'm a loving God, so I want to give them mercy. But I'm a just God, so one day I have to give justice to those who refuse and say, No, God. No, I don't want your plan of salvation. Now listen to me, because many people will think Peter was the... You know the reason Peter, James, and John, they always call them the inner three, and here's Jesus taking Peter, James. You know why? You know why? You know what he... It's because they think they know something. He couldn't leave Peter, James, and John down in the valley because they've already given the right answer a couple times. So in their pride, they puff up. So he had to keep them right next to him. You ever take your kids out and you go, this one's a little bit wrangly. I'm just going to keep him right next to me and hold his hand. The other two can run a little bit because they listen better when I go, hey, stop it. Peter, James, and John don't listen. Remember the sons of thunder? Jesus, they're not preaching right. Should we call thunder down on them? Peter just rebuked him for being Messiah. They're with him because they think they're leaders, but they won't listen. So he says, let me show you some more. Come on. Come on with me. Because if I leave you down here, it's hard telling what you're going to have the other nine doing when I get back. Yes, you've got a little bit of leadership. Yes, I put those qualities in you. But if you don't stay close to me and understand what's going on, you'll have the church doing all kinds of crazy stuff when I come back. Will I even find faith, Jesus says. Because if leaders don't stay close to God, on the mount, praying, spending time with Him, they start making up stuff for sheep to do. And I believe that's with all of us. Because all of us are believer priests. So Peter, James, and John are up there with Him. And He's transfigured. And they see this. And they're like, wow, look at, look at this. We see His glory. They see what? The transfiguring. The same thing that's going on with you. Down here they see His humanity. When they're up here, they see the inside. What do people see when they see your insides? Ooh. Like you hit the wrong nail with your hammer. What do they hear come out of your mouth? What do they see when... Are you being transfigured? Are you being transformed? Or are you conforming? Do you show up on the job and you act just like everybody else? Do you talk like everybody else because you're on the job? See, we're leaders. We're not supposed to talk like everybody else. Go in the Bible and show me one person that's following somebody other than Christ. They are all leaders. Elijah shows up on the scene and tells the king what to do. Think about it. Jacob. Pharaoh sends for Jacob. He's 73 people. They come and get Jacob, the supplanter, the deceiver. They bring him down to Egypt to save his family because there's a famine in the land and everybody's going to die what does Jacob do first thing? He goes in and blesses Pharaoh. 
He's the leader. He's the one that knows God. He's the one that has the truth living in him. He doesn't go there and go, thanks for blessing me, Pharaoh. He goes in and says, bless you, Pharaoh, because he's the greater. He's the one that has a blessing. If you belong to Jesus, you've got something to tell people. And if you go into their workspace and let them tell you, and you begin to act like them, then you're you're just acting like a perverted pit dweller. I was once a perverted pit dweller. We all were. I can still act like one. Get me irritated. I don't always walk in the Spirit. I don't think anybody does. Well, what happened while they're looking at the inside of Jesus and seeing His glory and the majesty which Peter later testifies? Why did he wait to testify? Because Jesus tells him in the text, don't tell nobody until after I've risen. So he was obeying. In fact, he couldn't understand it. His mind wasn't wrapping around it. He was trying to grow in it. I hope you're trying to grow in the gospel. Verse 4 says, And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Elijah represents the prophets. Moses represents the law. These people worship Moses and Elijah because they were worshiping dead saints instead of looking to God. This was something that was in the culture. It's in the church culture today. My wife was sharing with a lady and she said something about John Calvin and the lady said, that's blasphemy. You can't speak against John Calvin. Like, excuse me? When did John Calvin die for somebody's sins? When did John Calvin be perfected? He was killing Christians because they wouldn't obey. John Calvin is is a messed up dude. Just like every other Christian that's been on the planet ever since Jesus. Christians are messed up people. Good thing they got a Savior. There's no perfect Christians. Anyway... Elijah represents the prophet, and the law and the prophets testify of who? Jesus, that Jesus is coming, that Jesus, that God's sending a Messiah. That's what the whole point here is. But look what Peter does. This is why he's got a hold of his hand, and he takes him with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Uh-huh, you reckon? Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. No, notice verse 6, the commentary the Holy Spirit gives us. Because he did not know what to say. For they were greatly afraid. Because he didn't know what to say, he said. How many times have you been a little bit afraid or anxious or apprehensive and, and, and uh, like a little kid that says, How old are you, Bobby? What's your name? Three. You know, you you say something that doesn't make sense. So here's Peter, not knowing what to say, says. That's why he's with Jesus, because he always says stuff that he shouldn't say. He's always washing his own feet by putting them in his mouth. Listen to me. Tabernacles is a tent. It's the word tent in the King James. It's looking back to the Old Testament where they met in a tent and, and, and God would come down, the Shekinah glory would come upon the tent, and Moses would meet with him, and Joseph was in the tent. And Peter, 
for some reason thinks because they worship Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, that Jesus is on the same par. Let's make a tabernacle for each one of you three, and we can meet with all three of you. Listen, it's all about Jesus. Watch the next text, the next line. After, G, after God speaks, it's going to say, and then Jesus only was left. They pointed to. You and I are supposed to point to Jesus. We're not making our own little house, our own little tabernacle, our own little churches. We're just supposed to point to Jesus so that others will find Jesus. So Peter, not knowing what to say, had to say something. And uh, it was the wrong thing. He doesn't get rebuked. They just act like they didn't hear him say it. Seven, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. Don't make up stuff. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Listen, don't make up stuff. Don't build buildings that you don't need to be building. That's all he's saying. But God the Father speaks out of a cloud. His voice comes. And this is the second time they've seen this at his baptism. I'm not completely sure they heard, but this time he says, hear him. Now, Hebrews 1.1, if we wish to turn there, would tell you that in past times, in different manners, God spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, he speaks through his son, Jesus, who he made heir of all things whom He created all things. It clearly tells you that Jesus is God. He created all things. And now we want to hear Him. Who are you listening to? Oh, I'm serious. Because again, and i got to go back to it, and you guys will get mad at me, and some people that are Christians will say, well, He's just talking bad about the church. Nope. Never want to put my hand on God's bride. But i got people all over the planet that join churches and become a member of a church with some additional rules of what you have to do to be a saint. That's not listening to God. That's building your own little system, building your own little tabernacle, your own little tent, making up your own way when you come to God by grace, through faith. That's it. Are you listening for the voice of God? Listen to me. That's why I encourage you every day to get into the Word, prayer, and fellowship. To confess your sins. See, when the man of God looks into the Word of God and sees the Son of God, he's transformed by the Spirit of God into the image of God for the glory of God. That's what we're looking for. Listen to me. That's what's going on here. This is what you can be, Peter, James, and John. Look at the transfiguration on the mount. Now let's go back down and look and see what's really going on that your buddies are doing down here, nine of them down here arguing with a demon. Nine of them down here trying to figure out how to cast out a demon. Nine of them down here arguing with the religious authorities. But you can look like this. This is the direction we're going to transfiguration, transforming. But that's why I say, read the Bible. Don't listen to man unless man's telling you about the Bible. And then you need to go test it and say, is this really what the Bible says? Because when the man of God and the woman of God looks into the Word of God, that's what you're doing as you start reading it. You're spending time with God. 
and you see the Son of God, you see the example of what we're supposed to be, then you ask the Holy Spirit to transform you into the image of Jesus for the glory of God. Not for your own glory, not for your own kingdom. Verse 8. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. You spending any time with Jesus? You spending any time in prayer? Are you praying for other souls? Now, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So once again, he, picked, he tells them, he's preparing them, that he's going to die, but he's going to get back up again. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. Because they had been falsely taught that he wasn't going to die, but he was going to restore the kingdom to the days of Solomon. And they asked him, saying, What do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Why do the scribes say? Well, this is what they've been taught. They've been taught that Elijah has to come before the Messiah. So they're sitting there going, well, here's, he's saying he's the Messiah. Where's Elijah? We haven't seen Elijah till right now on the Mount of Transfiguration. But if you go look into Matthew, Matthew says, do not tell them about the vision. So if it was a vision on the mountain instead of the actual appearing of Elijah... They're still wondering. They're still being led to this truth. And they're going, well, he says he's the Messiah, but the scribes. And so they ask him, why did the scribes say Elijah has to come first then? What does he answer them? Because there's always an answer. Sometimes people will go, oh, I don't know. There's always an answer in the Bible. Then he answered and told them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man? That he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. This is talking about arrested, beaten, um, mocked. It's actually said it not in the King James. It means despised and humiliated. But I say to you, Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished as it was written. Now remember he says in another text where they can understand it, because he's not writing to... Um, a Roman crowd. Where am I looking at? Luke. They say, he said to him, I could tell you the truth, that, that John the Baptist was Elijah. See, he's the forerunner. He was born six months before. He's Jesus' cousin. Zacharias and Elizabeth's child. He was. And here's what it says in one sixteen of Luke. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God... He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, that's speaking of Jesus, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. See, he's the forerunner. They would always send somebody to go out, the king is coming, the king is coming, make straight the way of the Lord. And they would clean up the roads and they would chase off the vagabonds that's been robbing people. And they would make sure that the king wasn't going to be bothered and they could make straight his way. And that's what John the Baptist was. And this is actually, and of course they killed him. Herod cut his head off. Why? Really strange that we're talking about Elijah and Moses and John the Baptist. Why did they cut his head off? Because he told the truth. He told Herod that it wasn't right for him to have his sister's wife. 
And so she got so mad. Remember, we went through this text not a few weeks ago. They cut his head off. What did Elijah do if he was with us Friday night in front of Ahab? Ahab's worshiping Baal, a god of fertility, a god who, who brings the rain and the lightning and helps their crops to grow. Elijah went right before him and Jezebel and said, it ain't going to rain. It ain't going to rain for three years. Why? Because he'd been praying and God told him to go tell him it ain't going to rain. And they didn't cut his head off. But God allowed John the Baptist to be killed. And I tell you right now that there's another one coming real soon in the spirit of Elijah. It's a dual prophecy. There's going to be one of the two witnesses that's going to be in Jerusalem after the church is gone. He'll be prophesying what's going on. He'll call fire down from heaven just like the false prophet does. It's all in the Bible. That's why it's important to read this. Because if you're friends of God, He's already told you everything that's going to happen. It's all in here. But you have to have spiritual eyes to see it. So you have to be in His family and He gives you spiritual eyes to see it. So Elijah has come. And that's what he tells them is that the spirit of Elijah did come. He was in John the Baptist and they treated him bad. And they're going to also treat me with contempt or set me at naught and despise me. And when he came to his disciples, the other nine disciples are standing there. He come to them. He saw a great multitude around them and the scribes disputing, arguing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed. And running to him, greeted him. So they all run to him. Wouldn't that be nice if people were running to Jesus today? Wouldn't that be nice if they were running to Jesus today? When they see him and they go, oh wow, Jesus, let's run to him. No, we're running away from him because we're listening to the lies of the world, the lies of the devil. We're chasing everything that we shouldn't be chasing. And he's the only name by which men can be saved. 16, and he asked the scribes, he looked, notice him take control, what are you discussing with them? He didn't ask his disciples. You see that? He asked the scribes, the religious rulers. And they don't answer him either. Someone from the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son. So we're seeing the father answer who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, so this is a, a violent spirit. It's a demon that's violent. And that's, I don't know if you've noticed, but the violence gets worse at the end of the age. And that's where we're moving to. The violence is getting worse out there. You cannot explain Black Lives Matters and all of this violence. We're, we're putting police in jail and releasing the criminals. Listen to me. You can't explain this type of violence except for demonic. When somebody will take, just to, to make a point about George Floyd being wrongly killed, and they'll put their knee on the neck of a two-year-old baby, and think this is, this is without natural affection. This is demonic what's going on in this street. And, and, well, Jesus said it would happen. He said lawlessness will abound. He said it will abound. Let's get rid of the police. Are you kidding me? I say a bad father in the house is better than no father in the house. And I'll definitely say that a bad policeman is better than none. 
And there's only about 1% of them that's bad. It's the, it's the crazy unions that's, that's, that's causing the problem. You can't fire a bad cop. If you could fire a bad cop, you, could, you wouldn't wait to see it in the news. You'd say, dude, you ain't been showing up. Dude, you ain't been doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're out of here. But then we wait until they do something stupid. And then we act like it's happening everywhere. Nine people last year. Nine people. And we take one of them and make him a hero. Listen, I don't care. I, 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 George, he, he was not a hero. He was a criminal. He was a thug. He should have been in prison. When you take a, a gun and stick it to the belly of a pregnant woman in a home invasion, and they let you back out of jail, lawlessness is abounding. Now, I ain't saying he needed to die. But he ain't no hero. He definitely ain't no hero. And I'm going to be wanting some reparations here pretty soon if they keep letting criminals go. It was supposed to be a joke. Like, listen to me. This demon got really mean. Wasn't a normal demon. This demon is getting really mean. It's seizing him. It's throwing him down. It's foaming his mouth. It's gnashing his teeth, becoming rigid. Killing him. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Couldn't get no help from your church here, Jesus. He answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Listen to me. Listen. Did you see what he just called them? Faithless generation. He's speaking to all of them. A generation is, a, is not just a person. It can be a period or it can be a nation or it can be a time. And we are entering a time that's, that's, that's faithless in the church because we're asleep. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And we've walked away from the Word of God. So we're faithless. But notice what the answer was. Did you see the answer? Did you miss that? Bring him to me. Listen, no matter where you're at in your faith, whether you just got saved or you're growing in your faith, or no matter where you're at, just bring people to Jesus. That's what we're called to do. No matter how faithless our generation is, if our heart and mind and soul would be fixed on the kingdom of God and getting people to Jesus as opposed to getting stuff. When we're mindful of the devils and the world and everything else, instead of bringing people to Jesus, that's faithless. If you can't do anything else in your life, just ask them to come to church. I don't know about that answer, but let me just, uh, won't you go to church with me on Sunday and we'll find out an answer for you. We'll ask somebody who knows. It's about growing. It's about being transformed. It's not about having all the right answers. It's about getting people to Jesus. Because He's the only Savior. 
There's no other Savior. I'm not the Savior. Peter, James, and John's not the Savior. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he was brought to Jesus in the same condition. And instantly it happened so he could see clearly, because God knows everything about you and me. If we just get to Jesus, he already knows what's going on. And he already knows what the, the demons and what the world and what our flesh and what our bents are, everything that's going on, everything that convulses us and makes us foam and makes us act unnatural. He already knows it. He doesn't need nobody to testify of man. He created us. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? He's having a conversation. He's building a relationship. He said, from childhood. See, we're born sinners. We're all born sinners. The Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And often he has thrown him both into the fire, he's probably got burn marks all over him, and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Listen, again, father asking for a child. Again, a father bringing a child to Jesus. Listen to me. A father saying... My kid is messed up. We need some desperate help. I want you to understand that the problem in not just the black community, but on the planet is father. Who's your father? Father's in the home. I don't know if you've read these statistics, but, but when a black man graduates high school, only 17% of them have a father in the house. Oh, that's, that's like, oh man, do the math. Is that 83% that... Have our fatherless homes? Well, listen to me. In the other families, the white families, only 43% of white families have a father in the home. See, it's all about authority. God has put the authority in the father. God has put the authority in family. God has put the authority in the planet. And He gave the father to be the authority to train the child in the way that he's supposed to go. And it all comes back to who is your Father? Because Jesus is delivering us back to the Father in Heaven. Because He's the ultimate authority. And when you take fathers out and you let fathers go run and chase and get everything else instead of standing and being men that will stand up and take care of their families and, and love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water through the Word. That's the example we have. But men are chasing everything else instead of chasing the Father. Instead of in prayer looking to be transformed so they can teach their children. Just get your children to Jesus. That's what this Father is desperate for. Okay, anything, anything. Just have compassion on us because the devil's killing my boy. Are you praying for your kids? Jesus said to him, if you can believe, pistio, and trust your spiritual well-being into me, into Christ, all things are possible to him who believes. That's what that word is in the Greek. 
means to entrust your spiritual well-being into something. Do you trust me? All things are possible when you have faith in me. Immediately, remember this is a gospel that's moving quick. Straight away, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Listen to me. Listen to me. The word unbelief here means faithless. It means disobedient. And anytime somebody will draw near to God and just be honest with Him, because He already knows anyway, just say, I believe, but help my unbelief. I have a small amount of faith, but I don't know that I have enough faith for you to heal my child. Help my unbelief. I have a little bit of faith, Lord, that you gave me, that mustard seed of faith. Can you help me stop being disobedient? Just come and reason with Him. Though your sins were as scarlet, they can be white as snow. Just come and say to Him, honestly, I would love to believe the Gospel. I would love to follow you, but I'm too disobedient. I'm chasing everything else. When you draw near to God, He draws near to you. When you're just honest with Him, you give Him opportunity to heal your life. You give Him opportunity to grow your faith. And listen, don't try to change your life. Stop trying to change your life. Just read the Word of God. Just draw near to God. He changes your life. You have no power, no strength, no might to change your life. And quit focusing on your sin. I preach this all the time. If you're focused on your sin, you're focused right where the devil wants you to be focused. Just like our government right now, they want us to be focused on racism, so they cause it in the streets. And now everybody's focused on that instead of what's really going on. We're becoming communist overnight. But we're focused on racism. Just like Matthew 24 says, ethnos will be against ethnos in that day. I'm telling you, that day is here. I don't know the day or the hour. But he says if you're watching, you don't get left behind. If you're working, if you're waiting, if you're looking for His glorious appearing, when He comes as a thief in the night, oh, did I tell you, in the Galilean wedding, they all would trim their wicks and get their candles ready because the groom always came at midnight to get his bride while it was dark. And right now it's getting dark and dark is always used as a euphemism for evil. It's getting darker and the darker it gets, the closer we are to the Lord coming and getting his bride and taking her home as a thief in the night where we'll go to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Do you believe today? Do you believe that, uh, oh, I believe in some Creator. I believe that maybe Jesus was there. I had a guy tell me this the other day, oh, he was a good man. No, he wasn't. He was a liar. If all he was was a good man, he was a liar. He doesn't deserve to be followed because he said he was God. He claimed to be God. Why do you think the Jews tried to kill him? Because he claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Son of God, and that means he represented him and he was God. Because He was God. He had to suffer for our sins. In fact, although your backside is getting tired, in fact, let's go to Acts chapter 3 and let's read there and I will just stretch this just a minute and then we'll close. Acts chapter 3. Peter 
later learning, remember he denies Christ gets crucified. He denies Christ three times. All the disciples backslid. All the disciples walked away from Jesus. All the disciples did not understand. All of them made mistakes. The Bible is not about perfect people. That's what drives me crazy when people call us hypocrites. The Bible's not about perfect people. It's about people that are being perfected. They're becoming more like Christ. There are no perfect people. But this is what Peter said right in their faces to all the ruling authorities when he told them that they crucified the Lord. It's 3.18. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all His prophets that the Christ would suffer, He has fulfilled. God fulfilled them. God's getting ready to fulfill the rapture of the church. God's getting ready to fulfill punishment of all the sons of disobedience. They think they're forming a one-world government. God is allowing them. He's laughing at them. I don't know if you guys heard it, but the UN announced that we have to do something over this pandemic, or should we call it a plandemic? We have to have a one-world leader who can actually set systems in place that make sure that everybody's dealing with the virus exactly the same way. And that's going to take a one-world ruler. It has to be a one-world voice. It can't be everybody having their own sovereign countries. It can't be everybody having their own sovereign states and dealing with it their own way. It takes a one world ruler to deal with a pandemic that there's no more people dying. And, I, and if somebody lost somebody to COVID, I'm sorry, people are dying. 7% of the world will die this year just like it did last year. And we all, 100% of people will die. Somebody has to die of something. But there is not a pandemic. It's, it's manufactured. It's made up. They modified the flu virus. You want a cure for flu? Get COVID. There's no more flu deaths on the planet anymore. Everybody's dying of COVID. It's a lie, people. The masks don't work. Masks are a sign of slavery and bondage. Masks don't work. But they teach you to conform. They teach you to obey. Who? Oh, the father of lies. See, he doesn't want you to get back to the father of truth. He doesn't want you to get back to heaven and receive your salvation. So he wants to be the government. He wants to be the father. He wants to be the authority. And he trains you like little Pied Piper's mice to follow what they're saying. And the Bible does tell us to obey the ruling authorities, but it never tells us to trust them because they're liars. I, listen, four years... Four years and nobody's went to jail? Four years and all we've had is hearing and more spending of money and more deception and lies? They're all in the same boat together. They're all the government. First John 5.19, I know you're of God, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. They're all doing the same thing. They're just getting there at different times. Just like you and me, we're all trying to live for Jesus. We're just going to get there slower. Some of us are being transformed quicker. Some of, we're just doing it slowly. But if you ain't underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you're underneath the sway of the devil. There's only two places, two camps. And one's the father of lies, and one's the one that give his life to redeem you so you could be with him for eternity. 
It all had to happen because God wrote it down in the Bible. He had to suffer. Now He's fulfilled it. And, the, and then Peter says to him right in their face, Repent, change your mind, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, wiped away, in times of refreshing, restoration, our word, may come from the presence of the Lord. It's Acts chapter 3, verse 20. And he, that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before. That means he's coming back again, because at this time he's already went away. He's coming back again. So that he can send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from the brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be, listen to this, verse 23, And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet, will not hear Jesus, shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Let's close this. I believe, but help my unbelief. All of us are in that same place. I have faith. I'm growing in my faith. But I also am disobedient. That's what the word means. I have places of disobedience. Faithlessness. I can be perfectly faithful with this and then all of a sudden go, what? I get, I get distracted by my flesh, by the world, by Satan. I begin to do something else and I go, ah, I forgot to do that. Oh, that was disobedient, Lord. I believe, but help my unbelief. Draw near to God. Notice what happened. Look at verse 25. When, back in our text, 9.25. When Jesus saw the people came running together... He rebuked, look, the people are running. The people are trying to make a circus. The people are trying to get in the way. So he quickly acted and cast out the demon. He spoke just like he can speak on anything. He has power over demons. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Once Christ sets you free, you're free indeed. He gives demons boundaries where to go. Then the Spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. Listen, remember, let's go back to our analogy. Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is transforming him into himself, the light. And when he cast out the demon, when he cast out the old nature, we become as if we're dead because he said, die to yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. How does he get back up? Everybody thinks he's dead. Look. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Listen, you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. You become dead to self. You stop pursuing self. And Jesus can take your hand and you can get up in His power, His might, His strength, and be a testimony and a witness to everyone else. He arose. That's the same word for standing up again out of the grave, just like Jesus in the resurrection. And when He had come into the house, now He's back alone with His disciples and Him privately, why could we not cast it out? And He said to them, This kind comes out by nothing but prayer. And your text says, and fasting. But their most promising manuscripts only say prayer. But 
it's okay to prayer and fast. It's a religious exercise. But that's where we started at. Jesus went up on the mount to pray, and we see him transfigured. How did he feed all the 5,000 and the 4,000? Because they're coming to Jesus. And when they come to Jesus, they get what they need to go back out to the dead and dying world. Let's all stand. And that's the first step. You have to come to Jesus. They're alone with Jesus. They're asking questions. They're learning. That's what we're doing here is being equipped to go back out. And he says it has to be in prayer. Prayer means worship. It's the most purest form of worship where you're bowing down to God and you come to Him and say, Lord, I need help. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, here I am right now and I don't know. Can you help me? I need strength. Are you praying? Are you in the word prayer and fellowship? Are you asking God for help? Have you ever asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Today's the day for salvation. Salvation means deliverance from the sin nature. Do you know that? We have a nature in us that causes us to rebel against God. And Christ's blood will deliver you from that nature and give you a new nature, a new heart, eyes that can see the Bible, eyes can see the Word of God, and that faith can grow, and you can be transformed by the renewing of the mind so you may become the evidence you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because that's what you and I should be doing, is proving Him to be a true God by being different than we were and becoming more like Him each day as He transforms us. That's what this text is about. You and I should not be confused. The church right now should not be confused. And yet many churches are shutting down. They're listening to the lies of the world, the lies of the devil, instead of understanding and listening to God's voice and knowing what's happening on the planet. The convergence, the great reset, whatever you want to call it, the one world government setting up so that the Antichrist can come and deceive everybody who will not believe this Bible. Wake up, church. Ask Jesus to forgive you. Trust in His blood, this one-time sacrifice that He made for all, the just for the unjust. He, who be, he became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Father, wake us up. Lord, You know where every heart in this room is. And we ask that we would be that father crying out to you. We would be that person crying out to you. We would be that soul that says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And we would keep coming to you and we would keep asking you and we would get into the word prayer and fellowship and we would tell others that we were once blind, but now we see. We would tell others that we were once deaf and dumb and we couldn't speak because the devil had our tongue. But now, hearing your voice and walking by faith, our mouths have been released to speak truth to a dead and dying generation. Lord, we pray you would come quickly and take the chosen home. Pour out your Spirit upon these today. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. 
If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Who shall